the first reading is 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 to 15. You can find that on page 359 in the Church Bibles. That's 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 to 15. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognised him, bowed down to the ground and said, Is it really you, my lord Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, fifty in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here, he will kill me. Elijah said, As the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. I'll do turn back with me to page 359 as we carry on reading the story in 1 Kings 18 from verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to me to meet on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? 
If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us and let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves. And let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull that was given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed. And they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And they came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord which had been torn down. And Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench round it, large enough to hold two seers of seed. He arranged the the, the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. And the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. 
And when the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. And they seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look towards the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot, And go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rainstorm came on. And Ahab rode off to Jezreel. And the power of the Lord came on Elijah. And tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lucy and Trevor, for reading. Do keep 1 Kings chapter 18 open, um, and I'm going to say a prayer. We'll pray together, um, and then we'll look at it. Father God, we've been singing lots this evening about how you are the true God, and therefore the gods that we are to worship. But we pray, dear Heavenly Father, that those wouldn't just be words that we sing with our lips each Sunday, but would be the response that we have to you each and every single moment in response to these verses. For your glory, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Who is the true God? We've heard that lots this evening. Who is the true God? It's the question that lies at the heart of chapter 18. Who is the true God? Last week we saw that these chapters record for us some of the darkest days in the history of Israel, the northern kingdom. Remember King Ahab, the most evil king? He has turned from worshipping the Lord and has started to worship a Canaanite god called Baal. And so because of this, in line with warnings that God wrote about in Deuteronomy, the Lord, through his prophet Elijah, announces judgment. No rain. He turns off the taps. But as well as judging Israel for their sin, the lack of rain had another purpose too. Remember, the great irony of all of this was that Baal was a weather god. If you wanted the rain to fall so that your crops could grow and flourish, you would worship Baal, you would pray to Baal, you would make sacrifices to Baal. And yet when Israel do that, no rain. 
almost as if God was saying at the beginning of chapter 17, oh, you're a weather god, are you? Well, I say no rain. What are you going to do about it, Val? The answer, of course, is nothing. Many years have passed, and these years without the rain have served the purpose of exposing Baal for the fake that he is. Now, back in 1 Kings chapter 8, during his prayer of dedication, after the temple temple is built, Solomon says these words. He says, when the heavens are shut up, And there is no rain because your people have sinned against you. And when they pray towards this place and give praise to your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the lands you gave your people for an inheritance. And so you might have thought, well, the people by now might have gone up to Ahab and said, flick back in your Bible a few chapters to 1 Kings chapter 8 and pray. Turn back to the Lord. They haven't. Instead, in the early part of the chapter, there is a continued defiance for God and his word. This chap, Obadiah, is faithful. He's been trying to protect the Lord's prophets. But Jezebel, Ahab's wife, has been killing them off. Ahab himself is not very concerned with the welfare of the people. Do you notice that? He's trying to find food and water for the animals. And when Elijah turns up on the scene, Ahab continues to blame Elijah for the trouble. Now, of course, Ahab has gone, Elijah has gone back to Ahab with this promise from the Lord that he will send rain on the land. And yet he can't do it yet. The people haven't turned back to the Lord. And just imagine, if the Lord sends rain at this moment, what would the people do? They would think, well, Baal's been so kind to us. Yes, he sort of um, fell apart for a few years, but he's got his act back together, and so let's continue to worship him. And so rather than announcing rain, Elijah gathers the people. And verse 21, he went before them and said, how long will you waver between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. The people of Israel, they want a bit of the Lord, but they also want a bit of Baal. They want to waver. They want to sit on the fence. But Elijah wants them to get off the fence. Make your mind up, Israel. Not a bit of Yahweh and then a bit of Baal, not one or the other, but no, sorry, one or the other, that's the point. And that challenge for Israel is the same one for us from these verses. Now, I doubt that many of us have um, shrines set up to Baal in our house. I doubt that we've been praying to Baal this week when it's been tipping it down with rain, and yet we can so often have a range of gods, can't we? A range of gods that we like to waver between. We want to worship the Lord, yes, but then we want to worship a whole load of other things too. We want to worship the Lord, but also grades and career. We want Jesus, but also money. We want God, but also success. We want 
the Lord, but also popularity. We want Jesus, but also relationships. We want God, but also comforts. Of course, we might not say it out loud like this, but the reality of our lives and what we think about, what we spend our time and energy doing, where we place our sense of security and satisfaction, what we spend our money on, can so easily reveal that we waver. And the challenge is, how long? How long will I? How long will we waver between these gods? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if these other things are God, follow him. Make up your minds. It's time to get off the fence. The people in Elijah's day, they respond With silence, the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, verse 22, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. I said last week that these chapters 17 and 18 contain, if you like, a great showdown. A showdown between Yahweh, the God of Israel, and Baal. And if last week we had round one with the rain, well, today we have round two, the fire. The rules are clear, aren't they? Both groups are going to set up an altar. Both groups are going to call on the name of their gods and the God who answers by sending fire. That is the true gods. The prophets of Baal are happy. They agree that what Elijah says is good and they go first. And the reason is because there are so many of them. In fact, you might have noticed that it's emphasized a couple of times the number of prophets of Baal, 450, compared to a little old Elijah who's on his own. And that's not the only advantage that they have. See, just like Zarephath last week, Mount Carmel is found in Baal territory. Known by some at the time as Baal's mountain. He's at home. And not only that, remember, Baal is a weather god. One of his specialities, sending lightning, setting fire to things. And yet, even though they have all of these advantages, when they build the altar and start to call out, Baal, answer us, Baal, answer us, nothing. No response. They do this weird dance. Did you notice that at the top of the page of 360? They danced around the altar they had made. Now, I don't know this, but apparently the Hebrew boffins have um, looked at that verse, and they've also looked at the verse 21, how long will you waver? Those words dancing and that word wavering are very similar. They're wavering between gods. They're limping. Their dance isn't really a dance, it's a limp. And just like the people don't answer Elijah... Baal doesn't answer the people. 
Elijah starts to taunt them. Shout louder, surely he is a god. And then he comes up with all of these um, slightly odd things that Baal might be doing. Maybe he's deep in thought. His mind is preoccupied. You know, he's doing the crossword at the moment. Perhaps he's busy, which rather amusingly could be translated as he is relieving himself. You can laugh at that if you want to. Sorry, he can't come to the phone right now. He's on the loo. Maybe he's away traveling. He's left his own territory for a moment. He's got to go somewhere else. Or maybe he's just had a a bit of a late night. He needs a bit of a lion this morning. Of course, Elijah's just taking the mickey out of them. If Baal is the true God, then of course he wouldn't be doing those things. And yet the people just take his advice and carry on. They shout louder and louder, Baal, answer us. And it only gets more desperate. They slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. And they do this all day. They carry on until the evening sacrifice. All of this noise, all of this kerfuffle. But again, notice the repetition. No response. No one answered. No one paid attention. All of these advantages. And yet Baal has been completely useless. He doesn't answer by fire. He doesn't, he isn't God. Why not? Because he doesn't exist. It's obvious to us. It just doesn't exist. They're calling out to nobody. It's very easy for us to laugh at these prophets, isn't it? But we need to get this into our own heads, don't we? Idols promise us so much. And yet all they really do is demand more and more. They enslave us. And they deliver very little and ultimately nothing. The prophets of Baal have had their turn. And now it's Elijah's turn. He has to begin by repairing the altar of the Lord that's been torn down. That's not a good sign. And we're told that he does so with 12 stones. Significant because that is one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob. Can you imagine um, Elijah going off to get each of these stones and counting them out really, really obviously in front of the people? You know, one for Reuben, one for Simeon, one for Levi, one for Judah, etc., etc. As in, do you remember who you are? Do you remember that you're part of Israel? Do you remember that you're part of God's covenant people? And then he puts a load of water on, and we're thinking, what are you doing, Elijah? That's not going to help the situation. Again, putting the true God at a bit of a disadvantage. It's far too easy for God just to set fire to dry woods. Give him a challenge. But more importantly, notice the numbers involved again. Four jars and pour them on. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. Four times three, twelve. Again, Elijah is reminding them exactly who they are and who they belong to. And he even seems to do this during the prayer itself. Verse 36, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Why address God like that? 
you ever been at, the, um, at, at a prayer meeting at church? When it becomes quite obvious that the person praying is praying for the benefit of the people on the table. Dear God, thank you for the car park that we have at church, and thank you that there is enough space when everybody parks properly. Like, that kind of thing, as in, for the benefit of the people on the table. Is Elijah doing the same thing here today in this prayer? Lords, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, as in the covenant God, again, in the people's hearing, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God's and that you are turning, you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the woods, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. The prophets of Baal, they work on this assumption that they need to perform lots of intense religious worship in order to twist Baal's arm. The God of the Bible is different. One simple prayer and the fire melts everything. It's quite extensive, isn't it? Not just I'm setting fire to the altar, but it burns everything to pieces. And so the people are left in no doubts. They see this. They fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. That's the point. After two rounds in the showdown, the round with the rain and the round with the fire, it is clear. The Lord, He is God. In line with Deuteronomy 13 and 17, Elijah commands the people to seize and kill the prophets of Baal in order to protect God's people. And now that the people know that Baal is a fake and that they've turned back to him, God can provide them with the blessing of rain that he promised at the start of the chapter. He couldn't do it before this moment. But now that he has publicly exposed Baal, now that Baal has been completely humiliated and discredited, and the people have turned back to him, the blessing can come. The chapter ends on a very positive note. Elijah is ahead of Ahab. Do you notice that as they run? Significant because the king is behind the words. Remember, Elijah the prophet, the one who speaks to God's people. The king behind the words. And yet, if you read into chapter 19, then you'll see that very little difference continues. Ahab tells Jezebel what has happened. Jezebel starts to hunt Elijah again. And though there are 7,000 who've not bowed the knee to Baal, many continue to worship him. And so the Lord promises to wipe out Ahab's line and then does so. The Lord takes idolatry very, very seriously indeed. It's a lesson that we need to learn from these chapters. Again, we might not be tempted to waver between the Lord and Baal. But we are tempted to waver between Lord, the Lord and other things. We want the Lord, but also grades and career. We want Jesus, but also money. We want God, but also success. We want the Lord, but also popularity. We want Jesus, but also relationships. 
We want God, but also comforts. The point is clear. The Lord is God's. And so don't waver. Remember, we've got even more proof than these people. The coming of God down to earth in the person of his son. Jesus dying and then being raised means we have more clarity that the Lord is God's. And so the point is, get off the fence. Not sometimes God and sometimes other things. Not Jesus when I'm at church, but other things when I'm at school and work. But God all the time. God doesn't want to be part of your life. He deserves to be the God of your whole life. Jesus isn't just our Savior, but also our Lord's. And remember, the point of these verses isn't just so that we know that the Lord is God's. And the point isn't even just so that we can say that the Lord is God's, but so that we would live it. This chapter might involve us being radical. There might be something that we need to just completely stop if we're going to take it seriously. It is a radical chapter. It means cutting off all those other things. But it's worth doing so. He is God's. He's the one who can bring blessing to his people. He's the one who, as we saw last week, can bring life and life to the nations. It's worth doing so. So don't waver. Worship the Lord alone. That's the main point of application for us this evening, and it will be worth us chatting that through together over refreshments. But there's also a second thing I want us to think about, and it's to do with the role that Elijah had. And please do turn with me to um, the New Testament um, and to the book of James, the very end of James, page 1216. Now, when we read the Bible and when we read the Old Testament, I think we, we often think the main application is just be like the main character. You know, read David and Goliath, be like David's. But a lot of the time, that isn't always very helpful. Um, and so my instinct in looking at 1 Kings 18 is to think, well, be like Elijah cannot be true. And in one sense, that's true, right? He's got quite a distinct role. He's God's prophet. But we also want to apply the Bible the way the Bible encourages us to apply it. And so we come to verses like this in James. Do look down at verse 16 of chapter 5. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. 
And there's the lesson, be like Elijah and go and pray. But you might be thinking, verse 17 is a bit odd, isn't it? Elijah was a human being, even as we are. After all, when was the last time your prayers changed the weather of a nation for three and a half years? But these verses aren't just about any old type of prayer. As always, the context helps us. Let's read on. Verse 19. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Remember, back in 1 Kings, Elijah's prayers had a very particular purpose. He prayed that the people would know that the Lord is God and that he is turning their hearts back again. The purpose of the events of chapter 17 and 18, the purpose of Elijah's prayers, all to do with bringing waverers and wanderers back to the Lord's. If you read through James, then you'll see that one of the big themes, if not the big theme, is that of double-mindedness. And James says that just like Elijah did back then for the people of Israel, we can play a part in bringing wanderers and waverers back to the Lord. Very practically for a moment, just look at the nearest empty chair to you. Just look at it. Look at the nearest empty chair. And think to yourself, who isn't sat there who used to be here? Now, of course, there might be good reasons as to why people aren't here tonight. Maybe they're ill, maybe they're on holiday, maybe, and people have moved away and are going to another church. But who's not been here for a few weeks? Who's not been here since the start of the summer? Who's not been here since the start of COVID? And of course, think more broadly than just the Sunday meeting. Who's not been at youth group for a while? Who's not been to small and local group for a while? Now, it might not be this. But is the reason that they're not here because they've started to waver, started to wander from the truth. They want a little bit of the Lord's, but also a little bit of other things. And they start to waver, and gradually the other things win. Could you send that person a message? And could you perhaps even try and meet up with them, not out of pride or arrogance, but out of love for them. Notice what James says at the end, will save them from death. It's quite a serious thing, isn't it? And will you pray for them? And will you commit to pray for that one person that's in your mind right now? Will you pray for them that the Lord would bring them back to himself? see, we have a responsibility for one another, a duty of care for God's people. We should be concerned, greatly concerned, when God's people aren't gathering with one another. 
And James says that we can play a great part in bringing them back. So could you be an Elijah for that person? Commit to pray for them. Remember in 1 Kings 18, God loves to answer that prayer. He loves to answer Elijah's prayer so that the people know that he is the Lord and turn back to him. Who knows what the Lord might do as we start regularly praying for these people. Lord, bring them back to yourself. On this, it's worth just saying that if someone gently challenges you concerns that you're wavering, please don't think that they don't love you. They really do. They want you to come back to the Lord's. I thoroughly enjoyed looking at One Kings. I hope you have too. But more importantly than simply enjoying this part of Scripture, let's make sure that we learn from the mistakes that God's people have made in the past. Who is the true God? The Lord. The Lord, He is God. So don't waver, but worship Him alone. Let's pray that for ourselves and pray for others too. Let me close in prayer. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Our Father, we pray that you would convict us and reconvict us that that statement is true. But we pray, Father, more than just knowing that it is true or being able to say that it is true, but that we would live as if it's true. Pray, Father, that we would respond by not wavering between you and other things, but that we would worship you alone. Please convict us of areas where we might be tempted to waver. And we pray, Father, that you would increase our love for others that we know too who are wavering. Give us the grace and wisdom as we seek to speak with them. But more importantly, cause us to be prayerful for them. And we pray that you would answer our prayers. That people would come back to knowing and believing and living as if you are the true God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.